it is a clear example of how important the environment is to Catherine Zeta-Jones that she has resisted the terrible impulse to kiss me with this terrible cold. And I want to thank her as public service. Uh, meantime, my uh, cold bug and my lady wonder wench and I are in uh, the historic and uh, semi-lovely Port St. Lucie, Florida, more or less enjoying watching the New York Mets flail about in their spring training games. Uh, I will be back for the uh, April 3rd podcast, but in the meantime, uh, take a listen to this story from a a couple of years ago. It has to do with my lady wonder wench uh, before uh, she was my lady wonder wench and kind of a fantasy that I had about her. I'm Dick Summer, and it's time to say goodnight. This is a quiet place to rest your head, a safe place to hide a hurting heart, a gentle place to fall. We just call this place goodnight. A waitress said a wonderful thing to me yesterday. She said, you know, you look borderline like Sean Connery. (laughs) Now, I have always kind of fancied myself as being kind of borderline Harrison Ford, but Obviously, I thanked her profusely, and although I have never been a fan of Mr. Connery, I did double her tip, which I'm sure is probably what was mostly behind her statement. I like Roger Moore's version of James Bond a whole lot better than Sean Connery, because Roger Moore added some humor to the part, I thought. And I, I, I like humor. When I'm feeling stressed out, humor cheers me up a, a heck of a lot better than, than organized religion. And by the way, I've sometimes wondered, why do we refer to religions as organized? Does that mean some religions are disorganized? And if they are disorganized, does that mean you play guitars instead of organs at their services? I'm sorry. The church I no longer attend on Sunday is Catholic. I kind of get carried away by by the vision of the late... Pope John Paul in the fire the other day. You see that? It was a lead story in the evening news. The number two story was about the possibility of World War III starting, which I think is kind of interesting priorities. Anyway, two reasons I like Harrison Ford are, number one, he and I share a passion for flying airplanes. And number two, he never, ever goes skiing. You have never seen Indiana Jones or Dick Summer on skis, and you never will. My Lady Wonder Wench used to be a skier. I have never understood the joy of riding a ski lift up the side of this huge mountain while you are admiring the magnificent snowy peak high overhead and watching that little tiny wire that looks way too skinny for the job, holding your chair up over the 3,000-foot-deep canyon that's below you, where you're dangling your feet, you know? Silly of me, I know. After all, that ski lift was built on the basis of actual computer calculations done by a staff of engineers and scientists who, at the moment, are probably observing you from the safety of where they keep the ambulance in the garage 
in the ski lodge that's down there below. I keep remembering that guy in the wide world of sports. Remember that little film clip? I think he was representing the agony of defeat. And he went hurtling down the ski jump and he lost control. And it looked to me like he kind of exploded in midair. I think think hurtling around like that must hurtle pretty bad. Gotta be kind of painful. When I was on the radio in Boston, we were supposed to call the ski places around the area for their ski condition reports. And as I recall, there were four basic different reports that they always gave us. One was incredibly super, which I think means there was something frozen and slippery all over the hill. And there was super, which I think means if you have great reflexes, you can probably hurdle all the way down the hill by careening around large bare spots where there are rocks and piles of old ski poles from last year and an occasional bone or two from somebody who didn't quite make it. And there was excellent. That was that was the next one down. And that's when you have to take your skis off and carry them down the hill if you want to make it back in time for the beer fest. But there's always the chance that you'll meet a ski bunny or two on the way doing the same thing, so who cares? The fourth and, and last ski condition was what they call good. And that's the one they would give us in August. My lady Wonder Wench was a skier before I met her. And she used to go skiing with a friend of hers by the name of Rose and some guy by the name of Bill. Now, evidently, Rose never brought a guy with her because she enjoyed trolling for ski instructors. And according to Ms. Wench, she was usually pretty successful. As a matter of fact, according to Ms. Wench... Rose was kind of a combination of Catherine Zeta-Jones, Carmen Electra, and Angelina Jolie. Jolie? Whatever, you get the point. Well, anyway, it seems that Ms. Wench, who had not yet met me and therefore had not fallen in true lust or love or whatever, some combination thereof, I hope, at that point, Ms. Wench was, was madly in lust with Bill. But Bill was either testosterone-challenged or simply too much of an idiot to notice. And this did not do wonders for Wonder Wench's ego. And over the years, I have kind of developed this Wonder Wench ski lodge fantasy in which I land my plane in the parking lot at an incredibly expensive ski lodge. The kind where the rooms cost as much as buying off three of your local state senators for a year. And at dinner, they they serve lobster the size of a mid-sized car. And the airplane's engine gets all the attention of the people in the lodge. And and Bill opens the door. And the whole crowd gathers behind him. And they watch as I step down from the cockpit, dressed in my helmet and goggles and my white silk scarf and my black leather flight jacket and my freshly pressed dockers and and my riding boots and remember this is my fantasy so I am looking kind of borderline Harrison Ford here and I flip up the goggles and I push the two ends of the scarf into my pockets and I stride across the road right past Bill I, I walk in and I stand in the middle of the room for just a moment the crowd is silent And then I spot Wonder Wench, sitting by herself. And I walk decisively over to the table, right past Rose, who looks up adoringly and and expectingly. But I ignore her, 
and I hold out my hand to Wonder Wench, who stands up gracefully and looks at me in amazement. I've just ignored Rose, remember? Rose's lips are quivering, and, and a tear wells up in her eye, and she half reaches her hand toward me, but without a word, I guide Wonder Wench slowly to the door. The crowd gasps. I pick up Wonder Wench and carry her across the snow to my waiting airplane. The engine starts with one turn of the prop, and we, we power up and we roar straight up into the full moon. And I turn on the autopilot when we pass 5,200 feet. And the rest of the fantasy I will leave to your imagination. <laughs> but eat your heart out, Bill, whatever your name was. <sighs> Dick's Details, a bunch of totally unimportant but fascinating facts to stuff in one ear so you can squeeze the important things that are keeping you awake out the other and you can nod off comfortably to sleep. Sea otters tie themselves together with kelp. When asked about it, they claim it's so they won't drift apart while they sleep. Sounds kind of kinky to me, though. In Iran, a leftover dinner that you eat for breakfast is called a shitta. Good morning, dear. Let's eat some shitta. <laughs> I swear, you cannot make this stuff up. In Natoma, Kansas, it's illegal to throw knives at men wearing striped suits. Sounds to me like they must have had some pretty intense basketball games going on there. Dicks the tails. They take your mind off your mind. tell you how glad I am that Bill Watts-his-name was testosterone-challenged and stupid. And he is not getting a second chance with Wonder Wench, I'll tell you that. There's a story in the Bedtime Stories personal audio CD, though, about a guy who did get a second chance. I've often wondered how that worked out. You look pretty good. You're wearing a simple black dress, short and clingy. It always makes you feel sweet and sexy. You haven't worn it since the Christmas before your divorce. Tonight you felt the time was finally right for you to become a fully liberated single woman again. You treated yourself to a new hair color for the occasion, blonde. You always wanted to be a blonde. But your husband always made fun of you when you told him that you were thinking about it. It's done up in a soft bundle of curls with a black velvet ribbon to keep it in place. You've been a member of the Club for Divorced Parents for a few months now, but this is the first time that you've gone to one of their dances. You decided that instead of waiting at your table for some man to ask you to dance, that you'd pick a man yourself, take him by the hand, and lead him onto the dance floor. It didn't take you long to find an interesting-looking guy just a few tables away. You took three deep breaths, you put on your friendliest smile, and you looked up directly into his eyes and asked him if he wanted to dance. He didn't even hesitate. He just looked down at you and said, no. And just as he spoke, the music stopped and you knew that everyone in the room heard him. You didn't expect that. But you didn't let it stop you either. You turned to the guy right next to him and simply held out your hand without even looking at him. He looked absolutely shocked. And he smiled and he actually kissed your fingertips. You stood up and you 
slow danced with him for the rest of the night. He's a little older than you, not very good looking, short, heavy set, balding, not even a good conversationalist, but very polite, a little old fashioned, very nervous. He had very comfortable arms. He couldn't take his eyes off you. And now he wants to see you again, and you like the idea very much. It's actually exciting. You certainly didn't expect it. And then he apologized for making fun of you for wanting to be a blonde. And told you how sweet and sexy you look in that little black dress. And he said, cheating on you was the worst mistake of his life except for one thing, just that one thing. He said the worst mistake of his life was not stopping the divorce. I've often wondered how that worked out. I hope he did better second time around. That's called The Second Chance. It's from the Bedtime Stories personal audio CD. If you like it, you can just keep this podcast. Or if you like a fresh copy, you can go back to DickSummer.com and download one from the CD Baby icon. And by the way, if you like this podcast, please do me a favor and tell at least two friends, okay? Ask them if they like it to tell two of their friends. I really appreciate that very much. Kind of on that subject, I want to thank you for the positive emails that came in from last week's podcast. It was kind of neat. Now, sometimes when I'm up wandering around kind of late, you know, I listen to one of these podcasts and I usually land up hoping that it's doing what it's supposed to do, which is not terribly complicated, really. Just to give you a friendly kind of an arm around the shoulder and tell you a bedtime story and remind you of how good it is to be a member of the Louie Louie generation. So let me give you one more friendly pat on the fanny with the words of Big Louie himself. He says, teach love. Then stand back and let it work. And eat your heart out, Bill, whatever your name is. Time to tuck you in now. I'm Dick Summer, and I hope you'll come back soon for a gentle place to fall. Quiet place to rest your head. Safe place to hide a hurting heart. Nice and easy now. Couple of deep breaths. Come on. There you go. Just one more. That's better. All the way to sleep. All the way to sleep. Good night.